Galatians chapter 4, we're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 11. Paul writes to the assembly of Galatia, But I say that so long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a bondservant, though he is Lord of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the day appointed by the Father. So we also, when we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental principles of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, the Almighty sent out His Son, born to a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of children. And because you are children, the Almighty sent out the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of the Almighty through Christ. However, at that time, not knowing the Almighty, you were in bondage to those who by nature are not mighty ones. But now that you have come to know the Almighty, or rather to be known by the Almighty, why do you turn back again to the weak and miserable elemental principles? to which you desire to be in bondage all over again. You observe days, months, seasons, and years. I am afraid for you that I might have wasted my labor for you. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. This will be Paul's view of the law, part three. In the first lesson in this series, we saw that Paul was not anti-law. He was instead pro-law. Or we might say pro-walking by the Spirit. I like that. Pro-walking by the Spirit. It's walking by the law. In the second lesson, we saw that Paul exalted the holiness of the law. Paul did not see the law as being the problem. The problem lies not with the law, but with our lack of obedience to the law. If we seek to rely upon the law for justification that is, our declaration of innocence, how we're made right with the Father, we fall under the curse of the law. And that's because we've all broken the law. See, saints are not perfect in the law, therefore we cannot rely upon the law for our justification. At the same time, saints do possess a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 36. And the new heart and spirit that dwells within us changes our desires and our practices towards the law as new creatures. And so whereas a man who was not a saint at one time, stealing came naturally to him, adultery came naturally to him, now that he's a saint and he's a new creation in Christ, he doesn't desire to steal anymore. He doesn't desire to commit adultery anymore because the Spirit's effect upon the, the mind or the heart, which are actually synonymous in Scripture, mind and heart. So today, we move from understanding both concepts of law in part one and grace in part two, to looking at how Paul viewed certain aspects within the law. You will probably never run into a Christian who believes that we ought not to obey the fifth or the sixth commandment. Honoring our parents, that's the fifth, or protecting life, that's the sixth. Every Christian I've ever met believes that we ought to obey those commands. 
However, it is a different issue when it comes to observing the Sabbath or the new moon or the holy days of the Hebrew festival year. Generally, when my Christian friends first find out that I observe Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles, they kind of look at me in a strange way and they say, but aren't those things in the Old Testament? I had a guy tell me that this past week, not verbally but through social media. Aren't those things in the Old Testament, Matthew? Yes, those things are found in the Old Testament, and so is honoring your parents and protecting life. Those are found in the Old Testament too. Just because something's found in the Old Testament does not mean it has no relevance in the life of the New Testament believer. But the supposed problem comes in with a text like Galatians 4 verse 10 where Paul chastises the Galatian believers for observing certain times. Paul was concerned for their spiritual well-being in this verse because I want you to look at it coupled with verse 11. Galatians 4, verse 10, you observe days, months, seasons, and years. Galatians 4, verse 11, I am afraid for you that I might have wasted my labor for you. Now, if I were to come to you and say, brother, sister, I'm afraid for you. I fear that all the labor that I've put in to teach you has been stolen away. If I told you that, you would immediately know that I had a great concern for you, possibly that I was concerned for your salvation. I'm afraid for you. Maybe I've wasted all this time teaching you. Well, this is the text that many Christians use to chastise congregations like ours who do observe sacred times on the Hebrew calendar. And I want to present to you the two ways that these verses are interpreted by students of Scripture. People that study the Bible usually interpret these verses in one of two ways. The first view believes that Paul is equating the now observances of the Hebrew calendar with the past observances, the pagan observances in the past of the Galatians before they were believers. Now, if you look at verse 8, you'll begin to see how some people arrive at this view. Galatians 4, verse 8 says, However, at that time, not knowing the Almighty, you were in bondage to those who by nature are not mighty ones. In verse 8, Paul speaks of a time that the Galatians did not know Yahweh. And he uses the term knowing in the sense of having a saving relationship with. That's what knowing means, not knowing the Almighty. You were not in a saving relationship with the Almighty. It doesn't mean that they had no knowledge that there was a creator in a general sense. It means they had no salvific relationship with Yahweh. So when the Galatians were not in a saving relationship with the one true Almighty, Yahweh, they were in bondage to those who by nature are not really mighty ones. And that is pagan deities. So in verse 8, Paul cannot be talking about the Galatians previously observing days on the Hebrew calendar. Do you see that? There's no way that when the Galatians did not know Yahweh that they were participating in festivals like Passover or Tabernacles. It's impossible. They were serving pagan deities. They were serving ones who by nature were not mighty ones. But then in verse 9, Paul goes on to write, But now that you have come to know the Almighty, or rather to be known by the Almighty, why do you turn back again to the weak and miserable elemental principles to which you desire to be in bondage all over again? 
now that the Galatians are in a saving relationship with Yahweh, why do they want to turn back again to weak, miserable, elementary principles and go into bondage again? The traditional Christian view of this text does not see the Galatians going back to heathenism. They rather believe Paul is equating the Galatians desiring to now observe the Hebrew calendar with their past observances in heathenism. They feel that Paul is saying that to adopt the observance of days like the Sabbath or Passover is to fall back into something elementary. It's not that they're going back to pagan days. They're falling back into something elementary. I'm talking about the traditional Christian interpretation of this text. Something that doesn't matter. Traditional Christianity says the Sabbath doesn't matter anymore. Passover doesn't matter anymore. So why do you want to go back to something that doesn't matter? It's just like what you used to be in. Something that didn't matter. Pagan deities. Now, let me allow a pastor who takes this position to explain it to you. This clip is Pastor Stephen Anderson of the Faithful Word Baptist Church in Arizona. Listen to him. The reason why this is so significant is because today people are trying to bring us under these same practices and they want us to observe days and months and times and years. Now look, Paul said this is so serious, I wonder if you guys are even saved. Is that not what it says? He says in verse 10, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you labor. Why do you want to be brought back under these things? But yet I've showed this so many times to those who are mixed up in this Hebrew roots movement where they want to observe the Hebrew calendar and observe the feast days and observe the Sabbath and all these different things. I show this to them and they say, oh, that's not what that is. That has nothing to do with the, with the Jews. That has nothing to do with the Old Testament dates. Here's what they say. They'll back you up to verse 8 where it says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Now, what's he saying in verse 8? He's saying that before they got saved, they were worshiping idols, right? So before Paul came in there and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're worshiping them that are no gods. I mean, they're basically worshiping idols. They're basically just pagans of Asia Minor or whatever. Or I'm sorry, pagans of you know, Macedonia or whatever. So they're basically worshiping false gods. Then Paul comes in and brings them salvation through Jesus Christ. And then the Judaizers come in and bring in all the Hebrew root stuff. And here's what he's doing. He's comparing the junk that these Jewish false teachers are bringing in. He's comparing it to the junk that they believed in before they were even saved. He's basically saying, you know, you went from being a pagan who's worshiping multiple gods, then you received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you're being brought back under this other beggarly, weak stuff that's not the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So I know that might have been a little bit difficult to watch, but that's the first view. That's the traditional view. Most Christians that study the Bible will take that view. Not saying all of them will even know the view, but most pastors will say Christian pastors will take that view. Now, the second view, most popular in the Messianic or the Torah observant congregations, however you want to term that, 
is that Paul is strictly talking about the observance of pagan days. We heard Stephen Anderson kind of touch on that a little bit when he's talked with these people that observe the Torah. So this view is in verse 8. Paul speaks of the Galatians being in bondage to false deities back when they did not know Yahweh. And then in verse 9, Paul wonders why after they've come to the knowledge of Yahweh, why do they want to turn back to pagan days, months, times, and years, and be in bondage again? That's how most people in the Messianic Torah observant movement would interpret these verses. So this view can be put something like this. When you did not know Yahweh, you observed times of pagan deities, times like Halloween, which originally was known as Samhain, or times like Valentine's, which originally was known as Lupercalia. Okay, so you observe those times when you didn't know Yahweh to pagan deities as you were like Celtics and Druids and the Galatians were, people like that. So now that you do know Yahweh, or that Yahweh knows you rather, I like how Paul does that, because if we know Yahweh, it's because Yahweh knows us. Hallelujah. (laughs) So Paul kind of does that. Yahweh has saved you. Why do you want to turn back again to those weak and miserable things you used to be in bondage to? Now, let me allow a pastor who takes this position explain it to you. This is Pastor Randy Fulyard of Yahweh's Restoration Ministry in the state of Missouri. Watch this carefully. He'll he'll explain this view that he takes to you. Today I want to focus on what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, 10 through 11. Here's what he says. He says, You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now, many people will say and advocate that this passage here is supporting the notion that the feast days are no longer necessary that we find in the Old Testament. That Paul here is warning the people of Galatia that they're to abstain from that old Jewish worship. Or is this the case? Is this the message Paul is trying to convey? Well, you know it's not. And it's so easy to prove that this is not the message Paul was uh, teaching here. In verse 8, if we back up just a few verses, it says, how be it. Then when you knew not Yahweh, you did service unto them, which by nature are no mighty ones. But now rather that you have known Elohim, or listen, it says, or rather, uh, or rather are known of Elohim. In other words, you know, it's not us that calls, it's Yahweh that calls us into the faith. It says, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? So what is Paul saying here in verses 8 and 9? Or what he's saying and what he's referring to is their uh, pagan worship. The people of Galatia, they were Celtic in origin, and they were of the faith of the Druids. So what we find here is Paul referring to old uh, Druid worship, Celtic worship. And uh, Paul here is saying that he is disappointed. You know, he is saying that he, he's asking here is that I waste my time on you. So we don't find here evidence that Paul is advocating that we do away with the Old Testament feast. What he's saying here is that we're not to go back to false worship. So he explained that well. And this second view that Randy just explained makes a lot of sense if we read Galatians 4, 8 through 11 in isolation. Verse 8 is clearly not a reference to observing the Hebrew calendar. It can't be, because at that time the Galatians did not know Yahweh. 
They didn't know the Almighty. So obviously they were not observing the Hebrew calendar. Then in verses 9 through 10, it makes sense that Paul is fearful because the Galatians are going back again to what they previously held on to. That view makes sense if we only read those verses in isolation. And I get on to people all the time for just reading a couple of verses and formulating a belief without taking a whole book into context or all of the epistles that an apostle wrote into context. So the second view that Pastor Randy just shared is one that I have held to for years, for a long time. But lately I have called this view into question from studying the book of Galatians as a whole. Instead of just studying verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, I've been looking at the entire book of Galatians. Once again, if we only read Galatians 4, 8 through 11, I think that this second view is solid. However, if we take into consideration the entire context of the book of Galatians, I think we run into a problem. And I always try to study the Bible and get into the mind of the author. I try my best. I'm not infallible by any means. None of us are. But I try my best to understand what the author was trying to convey to us when he wrote his epistle. Because it wasn't written to us. A lot of people don't realize that. It was written for us. All of the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us specifically. It was written to specific people that existed at that time. So I want to get into his mind. What is he trying to, to convey to the people he's writing to? I don't want to try to put something in there to fit my ideology or theology or whatever. I want to try to understand what he was talking about originally. And here's the problem. Paul's epistle to the Galatians as a whole has nothing to do with the Galatians going back into paganism. If you read the entire book of Galatians, that's not what Paul is concerned with. Sure, they had come out of pagan heathenism, but Paul was not writing his letter to them because they were dropping back into worshiping false deities or keeping pagan holidays. That wasn't Paul's concern. Paul wrote the book of Galatians to the Galatians because they were now seeking to be justified or declared righteous or innocent by the law instead of by faith in the Messiah. That's why Paul wrote the epistle. It's very easy to see. Just read the whole epistle. It'll take you maybe 30 minutes. They were leaving the gospel about the Messiah, and they were turning to certain aspects in the law as their Savior, as their justification. Let me just give you a small sampling. Galatians 1, 6 through 7. Paul says, I marvel that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different good news. And there isn't another good news, only there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the good news of Christ. In Galatians 2.16, we read, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through the faith of Yeshua the Christ. Even we believed in the Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. And then in Galatians 5 verse 4 we read, You are alienated from Christ, you who desire to be justified by the law. 
you have fallen away from grace. So the theme of the entire book is Paul chastising the Galatians for turning away from Christ for their justification, leaving Christ and turning to the law. Now, I dealt with this in part two in my last lesson in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 13. Paul is not rebuking or getting on to anybody for a desire to live an obedient life in submission to Yeshua. After you've placed your trust in Him as your Savior in justification, recognizing that submission brings on progressive sanctification. Now, that's a lot of big words. But what I mean is this. Let me try to condense it down into a nutshell. Once you receive the Savior that Yahweh sent, once you receive the Messiah, He is your justification. He's your peace between you and the Father. He reconciles you to the Father. You broke the Father's law. He died for your sins. They're wiped clean in Christ. You've been reconciled. And then what do we do? We seek to live a life of walking by the Spirit in submission to the example that Christ laid out. Paul never rebukes that. Paul never rebukes the idea of progressive sanctification, meaning that a believer in Christ, when he's made into a new creature, he may not change everything overnight, but the older he gets in the Messiah, the more and more holy, I'm talking about outward actions, obedience, the more and more holy he or she will become. Amen? A good tree produces good fruit. Paul's not getting on to that idea. Paul's not rebuking that idea at all. Paul is rebuking leaving the Messiah as our justification and cleaving to the law as our righteousness or our justification. As I mentioned in the last message, when a person does this, they're actually trusting in their selves as their own Savior. That's really the only two options you have. You either receive the Savior that Yahweh sent you or you trust in your own self to obey the law. Well, the problem with that is you and I are not good saviors. We've messed up way too many times to save ourselves. Way too many times. We're not unblemished lambs. Praise Yahweh, we can be lambs by the blood of His own Son, but I'm not an unblemished lamb. I'm more like a three-legged one-eyed lamb, right? Covered in the righteousness of the unblemished lamb. So, with this bigger context of the entire epistle in view, when we look at, at Galatians as a whole, and we don't just look at verses 8 through 11, it doesn't make sense that Paul is speaking of the Galatians turning back to pagan observances. The Galatian believers who were seeking to be justified by the law of Yahweh would not be turning back to heathen days, months, and times. It makes more sense that they will be turning to days, months, and times found in the law. That makes more sense when we take the book as a whole. So, I no longer hold the second view that's taken by the majority of the Messianic or a Torah-observant congregation. However, hopefully as you've seen, I also have a problem with the initial first view that I mentioned, the one that we saw from Pastor Stephen Anderson. The first view believes that seeking to observe times on the Hebrew calendar under the New Covenant 
is like going back to a pagan deity or a heathen celebration. You heard Stephen Anderson say, he said, what Paul is telling them is that the junk that they're getting caught up in now, when he says junk, he's talking about Sabbath, Passover, Feast of Tabernacles. And that is just, you know, I don't even like saying that, but I'm just repeating what he's saying. Okay. He said, going into that junk is like going back to the junk you were in before. I don't believe that for one second. And you know what? The Apostle Paul didn't believe that either. Think about it. If Paul was merely telling the Galatians that observing Passover or the new moon or the Sabbath was weak, elementary bondage, then Paul would have been indicting his own self because Paul observed the Hebrew calendar. Now stay with me. Track with me here. Paul himself observed the Hebrew calendar. Let me show you this. James, Jacob, who was the bishop or the overseer of the congregation at Jerusalem. He's the main man. He's a pillar. Paul even called him a pillar of the faith in Galatians chapter 2. James is the big guy, all right? He, he led the congregation at Jerusalem, the Messianic congregation at Jerusalem. James said that Paul was careful about observing the Torah or the law. That's in Acts 21, verse 24. Now, it's one thing for Paul to say, I'm careful to observe the Torah. It's one thing for a man to testify of himself. It's another thing for a guy like Bishop Yaakov, James, to come in and say, hey, this guy over here, he's careful to observe the law. It's the testimony of another. That's a huge, huge plus to show that the Apostle Paul observed the law. In the latter portion of the book of Acts, after his conversion to the Messiah, we see that Paul entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath day in Acts 13, verse 14, and even preached to non-Judahites on the following Sabbath in verses 42 through 44. They begged, they pleaded with Paul that the words that he preached on that Sabbath will be preached to them the following Sabbath. Then in Acts 17, verse 2, it says that it was Paul's custom to enter into the synagogues and he would reason with the Judahites, the non-believing, the ones that did not believe in the Messiah. He would reason with them out of the Scriptures. In his debates that's recorded in the book of Acts, we never see him try to persuade the Judahites out of Sabbath observance. But instead, he attempts to persuade them that Yeshua of Nazareth is the promised Messiah and to place their faith in Him for their justification. You can read in Acts 13, it's a beautiful, beautiful sermon that Paul preaches. And at the end, after he preaches about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, he says, through Him you are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Acts 13, verse 39. In Acts 20, verse 6, Luke who was a companion of Paul on many journeys. He writes, Luke wrote the book of Acts, by the way, if you didn't know that, but he writes of how they sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Luke writes that. Luke mentioned these days because they would be familiar, not just to his current readers, but to his later readers. And he gives no hint that the days were obsolete. Then in Acts 20, verse 16, Luke writes that Paul was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if it were possible for the day of Pentecost, which is another day on the Hebrew calendar festival year. Now, I recently taught a series of lessons through 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13 concerning the excommunication 
of the unrepentant man in the congregation. Hopefully some of you guys remember that. The guy was unrepentant. He was in a bad relationship with his father's wife. He wouldn't get out of it. And Paul basically said, we've got to excommunicate him from the congregation. Now, I showed that Paul wrote that letter to them during Passover time. And he even used Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread by name in verses 7 through 8 as an object lesson for what they were to do spiritually. He said, For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. He's speaking both naturally and spiritually there. He's using a natural thing to produce a spiritual thing. So Paul used something they would have understood showing that this New Testament congregation observed this feast on the Hebrew calendar. Now, as a side note, I didn't have this in my notes to begin with, but I wanted to mention it. A lot of Christians took part in something last week called Ash Wednesday, which began the 40 days of Lent for them. And I'm not going to go into the meaning of all that. That's not the point of the lesson. But I had this thought while that was going on. Many of the Christians who do this, who observe Ash Wednesday, Lent, and then 40 days later, Easter, many Christians who do this are the ones who would condemn our congregation for observing days found in the Bible, found in Scripture, yet they place major emphases on observing days that are not found in Scripture. So if you have a Bible concordance or something on your phone where you can search a word in the whole Bible and you search the word Passover in Old and New Testament, you'll come up with 70 plus. My Bible version has 77 occurrences of the word Passover in it. That's all through the scriptures, both in the Old and the New. If you punch in, if you take Passover out and you punch in Ash Wednesday and you hit search, it's going to come up with zero. Lent, L-E-N-T, zero. Easter, zero, unless you're reading the King James Version. Easter's in there one time. The Greek is Pascha. It should be translated Passover. The New King James Version corrects that. So I find it fascinating that some Christians emphasize what's not in the Bible and downplay what is in the Bible. I had this conversation with some people that I love that celebrate Ash Wednesday. They drive through the church. The the priest or whatever places the the ash of crosses on their forehead, and they wear it all day. And these are some very uh, honest and serious people about their faith, but you can't find that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. This is a much later invention of man. So it doesn't make sense to me that we want to say, well, you're wrong for celebrating Passover, and we can find it 77 times, but, hey, we're right for celebrating Ash Wednesday zero times. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So, back to the book of Galatians. Was Paul condemning the Galatians in chapter 4, verses 8 through 11 for doing something that he himself did? Remember, we went through all those passages in the book of Acts in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul observed days, Sabbath, months, new moons, times, holy days, years, sabbaticals. Paul was a Hebrew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? So... Why would Paul tell the Galatians that they were in bondage for observing things that he was also observing? Well, the answer is that he would not. And thus, that cannot be what Paul is dealing with in Galatians 4. So, that knocks out the first view. Remember, I told you I don't hold to the second view. I gave you the reason why. Now, I've told you I don't hold to the first view. 
I hold to what we could call a third view or a different view from studying the Bible. I believe that Paul is writing against downplaying the Messiah and observing the Hebrew calendar, thinking that it justifies you from your sins. And that view makes the most sense to me based upon the context of the entire epistle. I think that's what Paul is rebuking. Paul is saying that to leave the gospel about the Messiah and go back to the law, specifically the Hebrew calendar, thinking that observing the calendar is what makes you righteous with Yahweh, that is like going back to your former life of paganism when you did not know Yahweh. In other words, downplaying or leaving Christ, leaving Christ equals going back to being a heathen even if you're observing the Hebrew calendar. See, after his conversion, Paul observed the calendar, but now he observed it with a newfound perspective of Yeshua of Nazareth. Remember, before he was converted on the road to Damascus, he persecuted the believers in the Messiah to death, put them in prison. He hated that faith. But after his conversion, now he saw the Sabbaths, the new moons, the festivals, They were all like a huge arrow that pointed to Yeshua of Nazareth. He couldn't see that before. But now he did with a focus on Yahweh's son, Yeshua. So to leave the good news, which is what the word gospel means, the good news about Yeshua of Nazareth, that he was sent by Yahweh, lived perfectly, died in your place, resurrected on the third day, he justified you from your sins, He declared you righteous from your sins because He took all of your sins against Yahweh's law and placed them upon Himself and was punished as your proxy on the cross. Remember, He became a curse for us, Galatians 3.13, so that we could be justified by faith. To leave all that and look to the Hebrew calendar as your Savior would place you in bondage. The Hebrew calendar did not die for your sins. The Hebrew calendar cannot change your heart. You know, it's a shame that I have seen Messianic and Torah-observant assemblies and individual people, not necessarily inside of this congregation, but people that have come and gone and people that I've met outside of the congregation. I have seen people and even congregations act as though the calendar is the Savior of the sinner instead of Yeshua be the Savior of the sinner. If an unbeliever walks into this congregation, we should not think that what they need to know from the beginning is the calendar or a lot of other things. That will come later as they attend and they learn and they grow. What they need to know from the start is, number one, they're a sinner against Yahweh's holy law. They've transgressed His law. Yahweh is so holy and they are not. And when they come to the realization that they need to repent of their sins, we need to tell them, but the Father has sent His Son to save you from your sins. And you can be delivered and justified from all your sins based upon your faith in the Messiah. And I think that we all need to be reminded of that lest we forget and we begin to think that we're saving ourselves by keeping the law or keeping the calendar. That's why Paul, catch this now, that's why Paul calls the Hebrew calendar weak and miserable in Galatians 4 verse 9. Somebody said, how could Paul call Yahweh's feasts 
weak and miserable. How would he do that? Why would he do that? Listen, he's not merely calling the, the proper use and the celebration of the feast weak and miserable. He's calling it weak and miserable when it comes to justifying you. That's where it's weak. It can't do that. It has no power to declare you righteous in Yahweh's court. It has no strength to take your sins away. The, the Hebrew calendar did not die for your sins. And if you are ignoring the Messiah and trusting in the calendar or any part of the law, Paul says, I'm afraid for you. Maybe I've labored in vain for you. See, Paul did not view the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the holy days as non-important. He observed them. He viewed them as great. But he did view them as shadows cast by something greater. They were shadows cast by the greater reality of the promised Messiah. They were big arrows pointing to Yeshua. In other words, Yeshua is the reality. The shadows that are cast by Him are the days, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the holy days, the sabbaticals, and all that. To leave the reality, to say, I don't, I don't need the reality, I'm going to downplay the reality of the Messiah and trust in the shadows for your salvation meant that you were fallen from grace. Now I want to give you an illustration as I close today. A lot of times when I go out of town, we used to go out of town a fairly good bit to sing and things, or I've been out of town on ministry trips with Brother Arnold. I've got a lot of pictures on my phone of me and my wife. I've got an album called Matthew and Tisha. In case you didn't know, I love my wife. <laughs> I, I, I make sure people know that because I do. She's the, Yahweh's biggest blessing that I've ever received apart from salvation is my wife. Now, I've got, a, I've got pictures, and we, we could be in the hotel room at night before I go to bed, and I would get my phone out, and I would look at the pictures of my wife and me. This one is us hugging each other. As I laid in the bed, because I didn't have her, I didn't have the reality with me. So I would look at the picture or the shadow. But when I made it home from the trip and I opened the door and Tisha was in the house, there I had the reality. I didn't say, hold on, let me pull the picture up so I can look at Tisha. I said, let me look at the reality and hug the reality. Because the reality is what's cast in the shadow. So, if Tisha were to get up tonight and she cast a shadow because of the light and I walk up to her and instead of hugging her, I hug the shadow, I don't catch anything. I don't get anything. And that's what Paul is saying. You have downplayed the Messiah. You have left the Messiah your justification. And you are trusting in for your salvation the shadow instead of the reality. That's just as dumb as me trying to hug the shadow of my wife instead of my wife. I believe that that is what Paul is saying. I think that's the best view, exegetically, in light of the epistle to the Galatians as a whole, and in light of the fact that Paul still observed the Hebrew calendar, even after his conversion to believing in the Messiah. He still observed the Hebrew calendar, but not leaving Yeshua, not leaving the Messiah. So Paul's telling these Galatians, you are foolish to leave the Messiah, to downplay the Messiah, and think that you're going to be made righteous by the law. I think that's what Paul is saying. So you could take that, ruminate on it all week, chew on it, 
And uh, we'll talk about some more next week. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for another opportunity to teach. And I ask and pray you bring us back here next Sabbath to do it all over again. Another rehearsal for your coming kingdom one day, the fullness. We glorify you and praise you through Yeshua. Amen.